you uh, can grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, and we'll just look at a, a shorter passage today in verses 27 through 33. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. Let me just go go ahead and say this again, as I, I like to remind people of this. I know there's kids in here. We don't have nursery right now. Uh, the kids' chatter does not bother me. So, um, and if you have to get up and walk in the back, that's totally fine as well. So, um, it may it may bother other people, but don't let that bother you because that's their problem, not yours. So, um, then they need to deal with that. So, um, so just so you know that, I just want to want to tell you that. So, uh, Mark chapter 11. And I'll start at verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priest and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things, or who gave you the authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This is God's word. It's entirely true and it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you have gathered us again around your word. And what a privilege it is we have in this country uh, to open the words, uh, the, your word freely, uh, to read it freely, to, to be able to study it freely, to be able to worship and gather in this way freely. And so, God, I pray that we would take full advantage of this uh, as we have this freedom. And so, God, I pray that you would um, use this time to uh, point us to Jesus, to make Jesus um, more clear to us than he was uh, an hour ago or, or, or even yesterday. And that we would have uh, full focus on what you have to show us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm sure if you're a normal person, the word authority doesn't always sit well with you. And by authority, I mean something or someone that is over you. They have authority over you. So that could be a person, uh, that could be um, just an institution or a set of rules that, that, might, that you might have to abide by. But it's, it's, not, a, it's not a subject you're going to bring up over coffee with a friend. But it is an important subject nonetheless, because we all live with authority in our life. Whether that be your boss or government officials that we have to, uh, to obey and listen to, or other leaders in your life. If you're, a, if you're a kid, you have your parents, you have teachers, you have other adults in your life that you are under their authority. But at the end of the day, I think if, if we're all being truly honest, all of us say that we are our own authority. 
If I don't like what those in authority over me are saying or asking me to do, you know what? I don't have to listen to them. I don't have to do what they tell me to do. I don't have to do what they say. And we live in a culture where the whole idea of of authority is being thrown out. With immediate access to, to everyone, literally everyone, even the President of the United States, through email and social media outlets, we can question and, and cancel anyone in authority publicly with what seems to be zero consequence. So I've heard university professors talk about this, that even though they have the, the Ph.D., uh, the expert, they're the expert in their subject. They've written uh, numerous journal articles on their, on their topic. Students still feel entitled to question whatever it is the professor says. Even tried and true facts. They can just send an email or blast them on social media. So instead of approaching a subject, a subject and its experts with a level of trust and respect, they approach with skepticism and arrogance. I mean, I would say we don't even like the word authority. Because it, the reason why we don't like authority or even don't like the word, because authority for us communicates lack of freedom. Freedom is being taken away from me. So I was reading an article this week that touched on the topic of distrusting authority figures, particularly in the season of of COVID-19. And this this has become known as the death of expertise. And so one person they interviewed who happened to be a pastor, I did not choose the quote because he was a pastor, but it happened to be a pastor. But he said this, he said, a distrust of authority figures that leads some Americans to undervalue long-established measures of competency and wisdom. Among some church members, he said, the attitude is, I'm going to use church for the things I like, ignore it for the things I don't, and find my own truth. That part for us is concerning, he says, that nothing feels authoritative right now. But this is nothing new. We, we, we see this in the scriptures in Third uh, John, verses 9 through 10. You have John writing to the church here, and he says this. He says, I have written something to the church, to the church but, but Diotrephus, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So you have Diotrephus uh, hindering the work of the church. And he hinders the work of the church because he refused to recognize the authority in that church. So essentially, he's slowing the work of the gospel. So much so that John says, oh no, we're going to talk about this. We're going to bring up what he is doing so that the work of the gospel won't be slowed. So that the church will not be destroyed. So here in our text this morning, I want to draw your attention to how Jesus shows us why it's not only important to just recognize authority, because we could all do that, we do it every day. 
but to recognize God's authority in our life. And how, and how freeing it is to place ourselves under his authority. So I want to do that looking at, 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 looking at it in three ways. One is through the questioning of authority, and this is in your worship guide if you're taking notes. The second is through the confirmation of authority. And then the third is through the response to that authority. So the questioning, the confirmation, and the response. So first, the questioning. So we have in verse 27, the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders coming to Jesus. Now, this is the who's who of the temple in Jesus' day. And they're coming, all of them are coming, to ask Jesus a couple of questions. Because they need answers. They saw how he came into Jerusalem with all of this fanfare from a couple of Sundays ago that we read. They saw and heard how he entered into the temple and was flipping over tables and running out uh, the thieves in his father's house. And now they need to send in the heavy because he has to be stopped. And so as they come in, they ask Jesus two questions. By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? So these questions are provoked when they talk about these things. These questions are provoked by the things that Jesus has just done that we've, that we've looked at over the past couple of weeks in Mark's Gospel. That he came into Jerusalem... With, with fanfare and riding on a donkey and saying that people around them saying that you know this is the son of David and they're and they're worshiping Hosanna Hosanna in the highest and then immediately he goes into the temple the, the center of of Jewish life the center of Jewish worship and he runs everybody out because this is fake worship this is fake Christianity this isn't the real church this isn't my father's house even. And so they're provoked by this to ask these questions. What authority are you doing these things? But we could also look back in Mark's gospel and at Jesus' life and how he declared his authority throughout his ministry on earth. He's been doing this from chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. As soon as he enters, he's, he's baptized. And the Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. And, and God himself declares, this is my son and who I am well pleased Listen to him. It's authority from heaven. But we also see this through his casting out of demons over and over again, through his defeat of Satan in the wilderness in, in Mark chapter 1, which simply just shows us his authority over the spiritual realm. And then through his many healings alongside calming the sea and feeding 5,000 and then feeding, feeding another 4,000 in this miraculous way, Jesus is declaring his authority over the physical world. But with these two questions, these religious leaders are seeking to incriminate Jesus. They really don't care about his answer. They just want to incriminate him. Remember, they have to get Jesus in a position that they can justify killing him. So they got to ask him some strategic questions here. How can we back him into a corner? So if he says God is giving him this authority or or even better, if he says I get this authority from myself, which is declaring himself 
to be a deity, declaring himself to be God, this will be their way of trapping him. He's speaking blasphemy. So one important thing to note is these men saw themselves as the protectors of the temple. So they would see Jesus' act as a direct challenge to their authority. So now we're getting somewhere. Now we're getting to, to the root of what's really going on here, right? Because it wasn't so much that Jesus did what he did and said what he said. That, that was a problem to them. But only so far as it was uh, about what he was saying about himself. Rather, this was a direct threat to the authority of the religious leaders that, that they held in Jewish and Roman life at this particular time. They were being threatened. Their authority was at stake here. And that kind of hits home. At least for me it does. Because many will say, and I've heard many say, you know, I like Jesus. I like his ideas. I like that he's a good person to follow, that he had this kind of good moral line. And that's a, that's a good thing to shoot for and to aim at and to build my life around even at some, at some level. But when he starts encroaching upon my individualism, when he starts encroaching upon my freedom, well, that's where I draw the line. He can't do that. He needs to stay at a distance. Because it is it is true. When you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus does demand, and I know that's another word we don't like to hear, but Jesus does demand everything from you. Every part of your life. So this may be something you really struggle with. Maybe you honestly don't want to do that. You're enjoying yourself too much right now. You're having, you're having too much fun. There's, there's so many things that I need to do right now and, and experiences I need to have. I can't place myself under authority. And especially not the authority of God. Or maybe you have a struggle with the church in general. And I'm sensitive to that. Because... You also have the reality of, of your own kind of spiritual authorities and your pastors and, and elders who are called to, to, to know and, and to lead and to teach you and to protect the church. And so there's a certain level of, of spiritual authority that, that those in these positions are given. And maybe you've been hurt by those holding these positions. It's easy to do. And this has caused you to to push away not just the church, but also cause you to push away God. So keep in mind, these, these men Jesus is dealing with are the accredited teachers. These are the, the, the you could say, the pastors and the elders of the Jewish church. Uh, and they were, they were rulers. People looked up to them and respected them. They had power and influence and authority. J.C. Ryle says they were regarded by the Jews as the fountain and springhead of religious knowledge. So I think we have to be careful here when those in positions of spiritual authority, such as these men were, begin to deny the truth and reality of the Messiah, which is what is taking place right now 
in Mark's gospel. And I would just tell you this. You are only called to obey those in these positions in your life currently. And I recognize that I'm in a position like that. And I'm telling you this. You are only called to obey those in in these positions so far as they follow Scripture and no further. No further. So this reminded me of, of the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Uh, it, you, you may know this passage, but it says this, that they received the word with all eagerness. Now, they were not just receiving the word from some random guy. They were receiving the word from the Apostle Paul. They received the word with all eagerness from Paul and Silas, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they didn't just take Paul at his word. They didn't just say, well, Paul said it, so it's obviously true. No, they took their copy of Scripture and they examined it daily to see if these things were so, to see if what Paul and Silas were saying were true. And through that exercise, Luke records for us in Acts, many of them believed. Many of them came to faith in Christ because they saw from God's Word that what they said was true. Well, this is where we have to get to as well, each one of us. And it's only Jesus who can bring uh, our second point, the confirmation of authority to us. And we see this in verses 29 through 30. So as often Jesus does, he doesn't answer questions directly, but he answers the questions with a question. So essentially, Jesus is asking them, what authority did John the Baptist have? Was his authority from heaven? So that's just another way of asking, which is is another way of asking, was it authority from God... Or was it authority from man? Which one was it? I was telling a couple of guys before the service, it's interesting how Mark continues to weave in John the Baptist in our story. Even after he's dead. He's dead already, and he continues to weave him into the story. So it just tells us that John was not some just passing figure in biblical history or church history, but that he was significant. I mean, Mark tells us that they, um, in verse 32, that they all held that John really was a prophet. So that's significant because if John was really a prophet, that meant that they believed that what John was saying was true. There was no falsehood in what John was saying. So it's significant that Mark continues to weave John the Baptist uh, throughout uh, his gospel to just remind us, John the Baptist is the forerunner of Jesus. He is preparing the way. Even in his death, he's still pointing to Jesus. So Jesus confirms his authority by asking them the question about John the Baptist. So Jesus doesn't say directly to them, um, where, do, where do I get my authority from? That's the wrong question for these men. Because he knew 
that they held John in high esteem. They knew that John. He knew that they knew that John was a prophet sent from God. So they, he knew that with this question, that they were immediately thinking back to Malachi chapter three verse one. They knew it. They they were they were they have their they have their Old Testament memorized. So they're hearing John the Baptist. Their mind immediately goes back to Malachi chapter three verse one that is prophesying about John the Baptist coming and prophesying about what John the Baptist's message will be, which is he will point to the Messiah. He will prepare the way for the Messiah. So Jesus knew this was strategic. And Jesus is arguing here that his authority and John's authority are derived from the same source, from heaven, from God. So to see that, we, ha- we just have to look back as to what John's message was. Mark chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. And he preached, saying, this is John the Baptist speaking, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So what John just did there in his message is he is declaring Jesus' authority. He's saying, look, I am not even worthy to untie his smelly sandals. I'm not even worthy to do the lowliest uh, of occupations toward the Messiah. I'm not even worthy of that. He reigns and rules from the heavens. I'm not worthy of that. So so John is already, from the very beginning, declaring Jesus' authority on earth and in heaven. And in other Gospels, uh, you have other parts of his message where John says when Jesus is, is approaching, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as he's doing that, he's pointing at Jesus as he's walking towards him to be baptized. So Jesus knows with this simple question, he knows he has set the trap for them. There's no way they can get out of this. They have to answer one way or the other. There's only two ways in which they can can answer truthfully. Because if they were to admit John's words are true, they would also be admitting that Jesus was true. That he was the Messiah. So Jesus' argument here is simple logic. If, If John's authority were merely human... Why did they not take a firmer stance against him? I mean, really, John's message is just as crazy as Jesus' message. And maybe a bit crazier because he's, now he's, John's dressing up like a prophet. I mean, he's wearing like uh, strange clothes, he's eating strange food, and he's declaring this message that nobody has been declaring for 400 years. And all of a sudden, he's out in the wilderness talking about the Messiah coming. So if John's message wasn't true, then why did they not crucify him? And if it's divine, then God would hold them accountable for not having listened to him. So in confirming his authority here, Jesus forces the spiritual elite to respond to his authority. In verses 31 through 33. 
I mentioned in my introduction that we, we all have different types of authority that we uh, are submitting ourselves to. So whether that be a, a boss or a parent or a teacher or our government officials. And, and while there may be varying levels of degrees to your interaction with these authorities in your life, you are, are still called to do the same thing with all of them. We're all called to respond to authority. Whether you, your response is obedience or your response is disobedience, you're called to respond. So within some of these relationships, you know that the authority that is asserted over you is a taking away of freedom, even if it's just a little bit. So we have, we have a number of military folks in here, and so the, the, the U.S. military has certain restrictions upon its soldiers currently that, that limits their movement because of, because of the pandemic. And even though you could say the military is seeking to relay safety and, and care to their soldiers, they are still losing a certain level of freedom. You can't go outside this, you know, mileage if you want to go on vacation, or you can't uh, come here without, you know, doing this, these certain things. Children could say the same thing about uh, the authority that's asserted over them through their parents or through their teachers. They are losing some freedom, and they may or may not like it. And if they're like my kids; they don't like it. But a lot of time, our response to well, let me just say this, it, and it makes a, it makes a massive difference. When you understand that those in authority over you either care about you or they don't care about you. They're either close and intimate with you or they're distant and they just kind of throw rules at you and they expect you to follow them. It makes a big difference to know that the person in authority over you loves you. Because a lot of times our, our response to this authority is motivated by this love that we know exists or that doesn't exist. And so we're more apt to obey those who we know love us. And we rebel a little bit more against those we, we know probably don't really love us. And I think this is the difference between authority and authoritarianism. There's a big difference there. So let me just describe it in this way, using Jesus as as the main example here. So Jesus' authority frees you. Authoritarianism enslaves you. Jesus' authority is motivated by love. Authoritarianism is motivated by power. Jesus' authority is confirmed through his humility and his sacrifice that we see that takes place on the cross. Authoritarianism is confirmed through corruption and pride. So the priest and the scribes and the elders here are in a dilemma. They have to respond to Jesus' authority by answering the question Jesus is asking because that is going to tell Jesus uh, the answer to whether or not they believe. To whether or not they truly believe in this God that they have dedicated their lives to. They're, They're students of the Word of God. And this is going to tell Jesus what they truly believe. Look at how they discuss it. 
They know they're in a dilemma. In verse 31, they're saying, you know, if we, you can almost picture them in this kind of huddle, like huddle up, guys. We need to talk about this and, and confirm. But they say, if we say from heaven, if we say it's from, it's from God, then he will say, why didn't we believe? And they're right. That's exactly what Jesus would say to them. Because if they say John's authority was, was from God, then what that means is his message is true. And if John's message is true, then Jesus' authority is from God. And if Jesus' authority is from God, then Jesus' words and works are true as well. So they knew, they knew the path that that would take them to. But they are held captive by their pride and their unbelief and, and even their fear. They know their, their reputation is at stake here. If we say this, this is the direction they're going. If we say this, that we're going to upset the crowds, we're going to upset our constituents, uh, we're, we're, pro- we're probably going to lose money, we're going to lose power, we're going to lose influence. Their authority is on the line here. And so instead of taking a stance, they choose to go this middle way, which really is non-existent. Anyways, because what they truly are doing is they are deciding to make a firm choice to refuse to believe in the person and work of Christ. That's what they ultimately choose. And this places us in a dilemma as well. We are in the same boat as these religious leaders are, because how we respond to Jesus right now is really important. So maybe you really wrestle with authority already, and to say to say uh, to believe in Jesus is to submit to His authority really troubles you. You don't even like that I've used that word about a thousand times. But whether you're a Christian or not, it's it's not a question that you can get around or even ignore. At some point, you are going to have to answer the question that Jesus is asking. You either believe he is who he says he is, or you don't. There's only two ways to live here. Belief or unbelief. There's no middle ground that is available to you. If you think that that these religious leaders found middle ground and that's where you want to land, that's not middle ground. That's unbelief. Because there's only two ways in which you can live your life. So let me help you if this is where you're at. If you don't accept that Jesus was sent from God and that He is the Messiah of of the world, that He has come to save uh, His people from their sins and that He holds the authority over all of life and over all of creation, if you don't believe that, you don't believe Him. You're not a Christian. So let me just take it a step further because we are in the, the South and so we have this weird Christian subculture in the South where we think if my grandma was a Christian, somehow that has, that has followed down through the bloodline and now I'm a Christian as well. And so if I just show up for church on Easter and Christmas, that somehow God will see that as, as, as you know, my way of getting into heaven. That's completely wrong. Or that I can just kind of uh, uh, just kind of take God in on Sundays and say, oh, well, this is really good. This helped kind of encourage me for uh, the day. And then I can just go about my, my, my week. And then maybe I'll see you next Sunday. Let me, just say, let me help you with that. 
If Jesus is divorced from your vocational life, your, your work life, you don't believe him. If Jesus is divorced from your academic life, says so school and, uh, and learning and things like that, you don't believe him. If, if Jesus is divorced from your marriage, you don't believe him. If, if Jesus is divorced from your, your parenting, you don't believe him. If Jesus is divorced from your suffering, you don't believe him. And I know that's hard. And I know some of you are going to be really wrestling with that. And I'll probably get emails about that, which are totally fine. If you still email, you can text me and ask me questions about that or or call me. But I just don't want you to be fooled. I don't want you to be fooled by that, to think that you can just have Jesus when you want him and, and not have him at other times because it's difficult. Because to say you believe is not just something you believe on Sunday. It's all of life. Every part of it. And I think this is the beauty of Christianity. That that Christianity says you are not alone in your job. You are not alone in your in your school and in interaction with friends. You're not alone in your marriage, whether it's hard or easy. You're not probably not easy. Marriage is never easy. Don't get that false idea. You're not alone in your, in your parenting. You're not alone in, in, in your suffering. The gospel says that, that, that God meets you in all of those things. That he has authority over all of that. That he has, he has all of that worked out for your good and for his glory. You don't have to figure it out. Because the, the Jesus you say you believe has authority over all of life. I was, uh, I was listening to, this, to a sermon this week by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was the, uh, the pastor and preacher of Westminster Chapel in London for a long time. Um, but I'm just reading the title here of his sermon. And it's, it's, a tit- it's titled with a question. And it's meant to be directed at, at Christians. And the question is, do you radiate him? Do you radiate Jesus? Do people look at you and say something is different? Something is, is not right here. Something doesn't compute with the culture around this particular person. Do you radiate him? And I'll just say this. The only way that you radiate Jesus is by first submitting to his authority over your entire life. It's the only way that you can do that. And knowing that his authority brings us life. It frees us, actually. My kids um, are old enough now that Tara and I have started to introduce them to the, to the uh, classic films of the, the 80s and the 90s. So, um, and some of you are like, when you were born in like yesterday, and you're like, what are those films? But, um, but they're... Films like Flight of the Navigator and The Goonies. Uh, and most recently, I introduced them to Forrest Gump, which is one of my favorite movies. Saw it in the theaters. But I was reminded of this scene in Forrest Gump where the love of Forrest's life, Jenny, were like peas and carrots, Forrest says. 
Jenny is in this hotel room. It's about it's about more than halfway through the movie. Jenny's in this hotel room and drugs and empty bottles and and even people are kind of strewn about the room, passed out from a from a night of, of partying. And she gets up and she's you can just tell she's she's at the end of herself in this scene and just rethinking everything about her life. Because essentially what Jenny has done up to this moment is that she has fled her entire life. She's fled from everything that ties her her back to the place where she experienced the most pain and the most hurt and the most trauma. And she wants freedom from that. She wants to run away from that. And so she indulges in every avenue available to her and imaginable. And travels all over the country looking for these things. Only to end up standing at the edge of a balcony ready to end her life. But it's not until Jenny realizes how much she is loved that she, sh- that she truly becomes free. And you see this transformation in the movie. No matter how many times she's rejected him, Forrest loved her. With all of her hurts, with all of her her baggage and and background and all of her brokenness, he loved her. And it's not until Jenny comes back that she's able to find peace and rest and freedom. And this is Jesus' message to you. And you may be saying, I want my freedom. I don't, I don't want to have authority in my life like that. And I want my freedom. But it's not until you realize how much you are loved that you truly become free. To realize that no matter how many times you've rejected him, that Jesus still loves you. With all your hurts and with all your baggage and in all of your brokenness, he still loves you. To come to him and rest in his authority of love. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you did not send Jesus to be our authoritarian leader, that we are just that we just need to obey and 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 salute to, but that you sent Jesus as as the messenger of love. And that to submit to his authority is not just to submit, um, to obey and, and, and live our life, but it's to submit to his love for us. And that changes everything. That The gospel changes everything because the gospel speaks to, to all of life. And so, God, I pray that each one of us would recognize how deeply loved we are by you in Christ. That despite our, our brokenness, despite our, our backgrounds and, and the massive mistakes that we've, that we, that we've made in our life and, um, and the, the massive mistakes we, we will make, continue to make, that Jesus still loves us, that he's calling us to himself. And so I pray that even if it's for the, the first time or the 100th time that we would believe that today and submit ourselves to his authority of love for us. We pray in his name. Amen.